Welcome to the After Party with the Sober Kates, where anything goes. Come hang out with us every Thursday, Thursday, while we sip our favorite booze-free beverage and talk candidly about our lives and sobriety and our party girl pasts. And let's get the After Party started. Welcome to a very special episode of the After Party, episode 54, where we interview Amanda White. You may be familiar with her from her Instagram account, Therapy for Women. I'm your co-host, Big Kate. And I'm your other co-host, Little Kate. And you might also be familiar with her from her reels that she does on Instagram. Yes. It's crack me up. <laughs> but Amanda White is a licensed professional counselor, and she is the founder and lead therapist at Therapy for Women, which is located in Philadelphia, but also in other states now, right? Yes, we have other therapists licensed in other states, but our actual office is in Philadelphia. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Sure. You know that we're partial to our Philly girls. Yes, I love it. (laughs) Just makes things easier when we have like that connection and know the person. Other than the sobriety. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump right in. You are sober as well, correct? Yes, I am. What is your sobriety date? My sobriety date is Memorial Day of uh, six and a half years ago. So what is... Well, it wouldn't be a half year because Memorial Day is this week, right? Oh, sorry, sorry. Labor Day. Sorry. (laughs) I always get um, Memorial Day and Labor Day confused. Okay. It is... I'll look at my calendar here. It is September 2nd. Oh my goodness. 2014? Yes, 2014. Thank you. Yes, that is. I had a very rough Labor Day (laughs) over six years ago, and that was my last drink. In there? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to elaborate a little bit more about Labor Day weekend that led up to that decision? Yeah. I mean, for me, I feel like the best way I can describe it is drinking was for me like friends in a bottle. It just felt like I had a lot of social anxiety growing up. I moved a bunch growing up and I really struggled with friendships and making connections. And when I first drank in high school, it just felt like the thing that was missing from my life. It felt like I'm this better version of myself. I'm outgoing. I'm social. I'm funny. And it really helped me manage my emotions, which I also loved. So I drank through college and after college. And I also dabbled with Adderall, which made the drinking way, you know, blackouts way, way, way worse, especially if you coupled that with like not eating. And that was like probably one of my biggest problems is I had pretty horrific blackouts and put myself in some very dangerous positions and really put my friends in some terrible positions. But I was able to justify it to myself as it's college. This is what people do. Even though my friends were like, this isn't normal. This is really intense. I just wrote them off as being jerks, but it continued to get worse. And it it got to the point where, you know, it's not like I was, I I don't have the type of story where I was drinking necessarily every day, but the blackouts were pretty intense. 
And by the time I graduated college, I feel like a very good example of just kind of one of my bottoms was when I, we went to beach week for our like senior year of graduation. And there was like a bunch of girls all packed into one house and a bunch of people all were sharing bunk beds in multiple rooms. And I had a room with like two queen size beds by myself because no one wanted to room with me because I was just so out of control. Oh, that's kind of a good situation for you. Yeah. (laughs) Introvert, which I am like, that's the ideal ideal situation. Yes. Um, And yeah, it just continued from there. And it's funny because I feel like a lot of people, when I said I was going to stop drinking, I like my parents didn't think I should really, but they didn't see me in college, you know, and they, they Mm -hmm. saw a few blackouts and things like that. And they were definitely concerned when they saw like how much wine I would drink sometimes, but they were very afraid of what would happen to me if I stopped drinking. And my mom worried, like I would never get married or be successful, but yeah, it just continued. And I think like another really good example of just the insanity of it was I was in graduate school to become a therapist and I was working at an addiction rehab and I would talk to people about, I mean, like granted it was more drugs than alcohol, but there's like this, I have a memory of like being at my five-year like high school reunion, being so blacked out after being kicked out from like bars and like talking to people about how great I was that I was like counseling other people, <laughs> like getting sober <laughs> while I clearly had a huge problem. So I was lucky enough to have a particularly bad night that Labor Day and really realized I wasn't going to be able to keep doing this. I, my last drink, I woke up and I taught yoga drunk. I was a yoga teacher at the time. And that to me, I was like, oh my God, this is going to continue. And I'm not going to be able to become a therapist. And I haven't drank since. Was it hot yoga? It was hot yoga. Ugh. Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so prior to that Labor Day weekend, did, do you have any attempts at stopping? I was just like, I would try to cut down on my drinking. I never attempted to stop before then. I would just, I was very, very into cutting down. So I did the whole, you know, beer only, wine only, shots only, which is <laughs> I was like, if I can measure them and only take three, that will work you know, like mixed drinks, like all kinds of different things, drinking water in between, not pre-gaming, all that kind of stuff. And I did have a, like my therapist, when we had talked about it, she encouraged me to try to stop for 30 days and that summer. And I like lied and said I did. And I only really stopped for two weeks, but I was in an interesting position where I think I was able to accept it a little bit easier because I had an eating disorder also. So I was in like a group in therapy with other people who were struggling with like other addictions. And that's also what made me be like, oh my God, my alcohol use is looking more and more like what they used to talk about. So I was lucky that I already had some of those like connections and relationships. Mm -hmm. And it, I started to recognize how much overlap there was between my eating disorder and my drinking. And I also really realized like, I wasn't going to be able to continue to be in recovery from my eating disorder if I kept drinking like this. I mean, that's very similar to both of our stories with the trying to control it, limiting yourself, giving yourself rules to try to become normal. 
Like, yeah. oh, I can be a normal drinker. That's just the goal. I don't want to stop. I just want to be a normal drinker. Which Go is- home when the bars close and sip on a beer. Yeah. Yes. Which is weird because we, all three of us started drinking to feel normal. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. It like works until it doesn't work at all. Yes. <laughs> well, and most of the time, like you said, in college and all that, you don't know that you're any different from other people. Yeah. You just think that the blackouts, oh, maybe something's wrong with me or like maybe everybody's blacking out. Mm -hmm. Nobody sits down as a group and says, wow, that was really not responsible last night, what we did. Right, (laughs) exactly, exactly. And I think it's just so easy to justify too, especially depending on like the group of people you're hanging out with. So it's easy to, you know, I hung out with people who drank a lot. So it felt like easy and normal that I fit in with them. Yeah, and everybody had their turn for embarrassment. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And you would share stories and that was like part of your friendship. Right. Yes, definitely. (laughs) So now that you're in long-term sobriety, what would you consider to be in like your sober toolkit or on the after party we call sober fanny pack? Love it. Love it. I mean, I would say the biggest one for me is movement, like exercise in some capacity. I grew up figure skating. So I always like movement has always been very important to me. I was a yoga teacher, like I said. So whether that's like getting outside for a walk or spinning or stretching, even that is so, so important that I do on some capacity every day. I find that, you know, I talk, I'm a therapist, so I talk a lot during the day and listen a lot. So being able to like process things non-verbally is really important to me. So that's probably one of the biggest ones. Other ones, I mean, friends, having a community, having other sober women in my life who I can talk to about these things is so extremely important to me. So anyone who's listening, I highly recommend connecting with at least one other person who understands what you've been through. Therapy, I love therapy. I still go to therapy. I'm a therapist who goes to therapy you know, books. I love to read my family, being outside, meditation. Those are kind of my big ones. Seltzer and mocktails, I think are also very important. (laughs) I've recently gotten into mocktails and I think that it makes a really big difference and just like feeling like you can have something that's fun. Yes, I agree on that. It's always nice to be hydrated, but sometimes it's just when you see other people drinking and you have a water, you're like, yeah. okay, well, I'm just like doubly left out now. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So that's yeah. been, it's been really cool to see all the new types of, you know, sober or alcohol-free options that exist. Yes. So I know that this was very important to me and it went hand in hand with my addiction, which is like the main thing that I think we want to talk about with you since you're a therapist is boundaries. Because I know when I was drinking, I had no boundaries. I didn't respect other people's boundaries. I didn't respect myself or my mental boundaries. And I think a lot of internal built up resentment, anger towards people was because they were not respecting the boundaries that I was not setting for them. Yes. (laughs) So it's just this cycle of these people that are closest to you, you don't have the wherewithal to speak up or set these boundaries. And then it just causes conflict. And 
it was just another internal factor that like made me drink more. So I think boundaries now is like this whole buzzword is you see it everywhere because I think a lot of, I know our parents' generations, my dad doesn't have boundaries with his parents. Like it, it wasn't a generation of boundaries. Yeah. So now we're all becoming aware of how we set boundaries and have, you know, more self-respect for ourself and our self-care. So like, well, how do you, well, how would you define boundaries? So a boundary is a limit essentially in some capacity. Some people also say it's a consequence, but I think the basic way to understand a boundary, I love giving a fit, like an example of a physical boundary is like a fence around a yard, right? So it like determines where someone can and cannot walk. It can protect your grass or the space. And I think it's helpful to think about that because the fence doesn't exist to punish the person walking by, right? Like that fence exists depending on the person. Now, someone who lives there or is your friend might have like the code to get into your fence, right? So it doesn't mean that we have to have our boundaries all be the same for everyone. But I think a big thing that prevents people from setting boundaries, obviously it can be uncomfortable and if you haven't done it before, but people sometimes think that boundaries are mean. So I like to use that example because I never walk by a fence and think this fence is, you know, someone shouldn't have a fence up because they don't want me walking on their grass. I think, thanks for letting me know where the path is. Yeah. So that's kind of how I define it. And I loved what you said, little Kate, about, you know, your own boundaries. I also really, really relate to that because when I was drinking, I also didn't have boundaries. I also feel like we, especially if you have people pleasing tendencies, it can be easy to kind of get stuck in drinking to deal with the frustration or drinking to deal with how uncomfortable you feel when if you set a boundary you might be able to have some of that discomfort go away. Yeah, I think while we were drinking, we didn't even know that boundaries were an option. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, and I think like it's helpful to remember that our parents don't know boundaries because, I mean, literally, if you think about counseling as a and therapy and how long it's existed, it hasn't existed that long. I mean, it didn't really become a thing until 1940. So I think that can be helpful to remember too, that our parents were raised by people who lived through the Great Depression and just thought if you had enough food, that everything would be perfect and great. And now we're all realizing that that's not true. Mental health is a thing. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. In your role as a therapist, what are some causes of a lack of boundaries that you've encountered or like, where can they stem from? Like family patterns, social anxieties, lack of self-identity. I think all those things for sure. I think that, like I said, I think a lot of us also are really conflict adverse because healthy conflict isn't modeled to us. And people think that obviously we know what unhealthy, aggressive conflict looks like. If your parents yelled at each other or there was like physical abuse or physical altercations. We know that that's not healthy conflict. But another thing that people don't identify as not healthy conflict is families who swept things under the rug 
who would never disagree in front of you. If your parents were people who kept everything to themselves when it came to their disagreements, that's not healthy either because you don't learn how to disagree with someone. If your parents didn't let you disagree with them, if you said something and they would say things like, because I said so, or not talk to you about why you felt this way or why you disagreed with them, that also is a huge thing that we don't learn that it's safe. A lot of us feel like if we didn't, you know, if healthy conflict wasn't modeled to us, we might be really afraid of conflict because we might equate conflict with aggression, which isn't the same thing. So that's a really big one. Other ones, like we talked about with people pleasing, I think that, and this could be people pleasers can become people who didn't have healthy conflict modeled to them. But if you have low self-esteem, you have social anxiety, you want to fit in, you want people to like you, it's going to be really hard to set boundaries because there is a chance that someone might not like that. They might push back on your boundary. They might disagree. And if you feel like your number one goal is to be liked and be accepted, you're going to feel not good about yourself if someone disagrees with your boundaries. And most people, right? I think it's important to remember too, when we think about relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship, family, friendship, people typically want to keep the relationship in status quo. We don't typically like change. And someone setting a boundary does create change to the dynamic of the relationship. And people naturally push against that because they want to keep the status quo. Preach. You yeah. touched on like my whole life. <laughs> Every relationship of my life was just came up with that. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really common, especially for women. Yeah, that's true. We're mainly taught to. Yeah, exactly. And people please. We want to please yeah. everybody in our life and juggle everything and everything's fine. While existing yeah. in the background. Yeah, exactly. So do you think that a lack of boundaries is related to addiction or how does it keep you in that cycle of addiction? I think it definitely can. I think obviously boundaries are something that lots of people struggle with, whether they struggle with addiction or not. But I think one of the biggest things that often is under addiction is that like dishonesty with yourself and with others. And it's really painful to live in that dishonest place to not be authentic. And we numb ourselves like through drinking or some other type of addiction in order to deal with that pain a lot of times. And it's kind of why we tend to drink more or do something more and more because right, like the pain continues to get greater. So I think of sobriety as like the opposite of what we were doing in our addiction. It's like facing our truth. It's facing those difficult things that we've been running from, that we've been numbing from. And for a lot of us, if pain is under our addiction, it's going to, we're going to need to set boundaries to be able to take care of ourselves, whether it is like accepting that we have social anxiety and maybe we don't want to go to a party and being honest about that. Or whether it's like telling your parents not to say this to you, or, you know, like, don't comment on my body, don't comment on my friendships, like, don't say this. That's something that when we stop drinking, we have to face and learn where it's a lot easier if your parents say inappropriate things or mean things to you to just drink to deal with it. 
rather than setting that boundary. Yeah. I think when like most of us got sober, you know, we kind of came out of the cloud and you're always just like, how did I get here? So, you know, a great first step is getting sober and losing the wet mind. But what would be the first step towards setting boundaries or where do you start? So I would start with the simplest thing to start practicing is starting to tell people, I will get back to you. Like if no feels too hard, start by pausing before you answer anything, whether that's someone asking you to do something for them, whether that's someone inviting you somewhere, start practicing pausing and saying like, let me check my calendar. Let me get back to you. I'm not sure. So that you can actually then have the opportunity to say no. A lot of us are so in the habit of just saying, yes, absolutely, no problem, immediately. We don't even have time to check in and recognize and ask ourselves if we want to do that thing or we have the capability to do that thing or not. Because a lot of times, I mean, yeah, like setting, saying no, saying I'll get back to you is the first step in practicing it. And it's going to feel really uncomfortable. Yeah, it definitely feels uncomfortable. I think that's my first intro into setting boundaries was just starting to say no to things that I didn't want to do because I felt like my social calendar was packed and it was with things that were draining me, didn't bring me any joy. So the first couple of times, like probably the first year or two, I would say no. It came off like so rude though. Like, (laughs) no, no, I don't want to go. Like, how dare you even ask me? (laughs) So it took a while to just get comfortable in the single word of no. And I don't need to explain it. And that's no is a full sentence. Absolutely. And I think it's helpful for a lot of us, right? If you think about boundaries as like a continuum of like one side is like rigid boundaries. And those are like the harshest, most firm boundaries. And then all the way on the other side is like loose boundaries. What we want is like healthy boundaries in the middle. Unless there's someone who's unhealthy, then maybe having a rigid boundary with them is what we want to do. So I think like little Kate, that makes a lot of sense with a lot of times I think we can swing, right? If we're someone who had no boundaries, sometimes we can swing to being like mad at someone or just being super rigid in the boundaries that we have because we've neglected ourselves for so long. And that's a normal thing to swing kind of to one side before we can come back to the middle and be a little more flexible. I think that my boundaries, when I'm like feeling unsafe or just like out of control in my life, they tend to get so rigid. But how do we know like what do healthy boundaries look like? And then also too, like when we're setting that boundary, how do we know if it's just like a very rigid boundary for ourselves or it's actually a wall? to prevent ourselves from feeling anything or just having to deal with anything? Yeah. Well, I would, I'll say some walls are healthy. Like I think going back to if someone refuses to accept your boundary, for example, some walls or some rigid boundaries are really healthy and only you can discover that for yourself. Some people are okay with ending relationships with certain people, for example, because those people are difficult. Some people, it causes them a lot of pain to end those relationships. So only you can know if it's worth it kind of for you to set that rigid boundary. 
But if we're talking about things in terms of what you were saying, Big Kate, about like whether the rigid boundary is preventing us from connection or things like that, I think a helpful way to look at it is are you so rigid that like, would you like to be able to have more flexibility in doing something? Are you using that boundary to check out of your life? Are you using, you know, I say often like rigid boundaries aren't unhealthy. They're just limiting. They will limit your life sometimes if you have too many rigid boundaries. So I think it depends on your life. It depends on what your goals, what your values are. If you're someone who is feeling disconnected from people, it might be more helpful to look at some of the ways that you can be a little bit more flexible in your boundaries. If you're someone who is on the other side and feeling more like you say yes to everything, you have too many commitments, too many obligations, then you're going to want to go towards having more firm boundaries. So it's a little complicated because it's so unique, but I think, think about your values, think about what you want, and that will help guide whether you need firmer or less firm boundaries. And the good thing is, I mean, you can experiment also, like if maybe you need to practice setting firm boundaries for a while, and then maybe you're like, you know, I'm missing a lot of things and I would actually like to go to some more things, or I miss this person and maybe they annoy me sometimes, but maybe it is worth it to see them in a group or something like that. And then maybe you loosen that boundary and and you go to something. So what about setting boundaries with, I guess we can call them people that won't respond normally to boundaries. So any like narcissist, abusive relationships, just people that aren't used to have having boundaries set with them. Yeah. How do you react if it's somebody that especially you want in your life and they won't respect your boundaries? Like what is the right way to set a boundary with them? Well, I don't think that there's necessarily any, I think there will probably need to be more rigid boundaries with this person. I mean, obviously it depends on right? Like if the person who is a narcissist is abusive and it's going into that territory, that would be when I would say, I think my recommendation would be to get out of the relationship, to end the relationship, to take care of yourself. But I think a lot of us have family members, for example, who are narcissists and it's hard to, you know, not see them necessarily. So I think in that, I think remembering that you don't have to explain yourself. A lot of times the more, which, I mean, it's interesting because I think that there's also something called boundary negotiation. But to me, that's only something that's reserved for someone that respects your boundaries and you have a very close relationship with. So boundary negotiation often happens in romantic relationships where maybe you set the boundary of, I need alone time this many times a week. Your partner says, I need connection this many times a week. And then you guys come up with a compromise of a way to take care of both of you. But when we're talking about someone who's more distant to us, who might be a narcissist, who doesn't respect our boundaries, that's where I would say as little as possible because a narcissist or someone who doesn't respect our boundaries is going to take almost anything we say and try to manipulate us into letting our boundary down. So the more you can remember no is a complete sentence. 
if they ask you why, I mean, you can literally repeat what you said. You don't owe them an explanation. You don't need to tell them why. You can remove yourself from the situation if you have to. That's my best recommendation. If they can't respect your boundaries, remove yourself from the situation if possible. Yes, less is more. The more that they bump heads with your boundaries, the less you owe them. Yeah. And I think that people also sometimes get a rise out of pushing back against someone's boundaries and challenging them and trying to make them justify why they have this boundary. And you don't owe someone an explanation just because they ask you a question. Just because someone asks you a question doesn't mean you have to answer it. That's funny that you're saying that we're talking about this because now I'm thinking about my relationship with my husband and I give him like with physical boundaries. Yeah. I'm, I'm not as respectful to his. <laughs> so I'm very like, don't touch me. I don't want to be touched, but I'm going to like be all on top of you, but don't yeah. touch me. Like, but I'm going to play with your hair and hate your butt. And he's like, I don't like when you do that, please stop. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh shit. Um, like that's a boundary. <laughs> I'm not as prone to seeing boundaries. So now I'm like, okay, I have to start respecting physical touch as a boundary as well. Yes. And I think it's a good thing for us to, I think having those moments though can help us because I think that sometimes we can get caught in like my boundaries and mm-hmm. what I need But it's also really, and we can demonize people who don't respect our boundaries. But if we can have those moments of recognizing, I mean, we all disrespect people's boundaries on some level. And it doesn't mean we're a bad person. Sometimes we're not paying attention. So I think being able to humanize that and being able to recognize where you've, you know, made a mistake or disrespected someone else's boundaries can be really helpful in the learning process of it all. Yes. I will stop slapping his butt. (laughs) Um, So how then do you think, what's the best advice you have for us sticking to our boundaries? Like if we have boundaries within ourselves, not with any external people, but our internal boundaries usually are the hardest ones I feel like to stick with. So how, what's your best advice for how to stick with that? Totally. I agree with you. I think they are some of the hardest for sure, because only you know, really, if you've broken a boundary with yourself. I prefer the word boundary when setting these things compared to a rule, because I think that rules sometimes can feel very limiting, very black and white, very you broke it or you didn't where I think the whole point of a boundary is that there is flexibility that it can change and move as needed as your life changes. So I think it's important to give yourself grace for your boundaries with yourself might change. I think one of the best things that can help people is remembering that you like if you break your word to yourself constantly, it's one of the quickest ways that we kill our self-esteem because then you can't trust yourself and you don't believe your own word when you tell yourself something. So if you can remember that, sometimes that can help people feel like they will, like I would prefer people and I would recommend people set less boundaries with themselves initially, then set all of these boundaries and then break them. And then none of the boundaries mean anything. Start really, really small and then build up 
from there rather than I think a lot of times we want to change. So we set like all of these huge boundaries with ourselves and all these goals, and then we don't follow through with them. And then we feel terrible about ourselves. And it just creates this whole cycle of shame where if we start really small and we build from there, it might not feel as satisfying initially. It does help over time. Yeah. I think that's with anything that you're starting out on. Start small. Yes. And then the shame cycle. It's if you're trying to set, begin setting boundaries with yourself to begin with, maybe your self-esteem was low to begin with. So it's my mindfulness coach always tells me like, you're doing the best that you can. This is your best at this moment. So you don't have to be the best, but this is the best that you can do right now. Yeah. And I think self-compassion can be so helpful in setting boundaries in like recognizing that you're a human and you struggle and other people in your position might struggle with this too. Trying to talk to yourself the way that you would talk to a friend or a loved one. Like you said, that that mindfulness piece can help us with self-compassion because sometimes we don't even recognize we're being mean and beating ourselves up. But I think one of the biggest things too is people think if they're mean to themselves, they will change. And that is 100% the opposite. Like being kind to yourself and being compassionate to yourself doesn't mean you're letting yourself off the hook. You can still hold yourself accountable by being kind to yourself. But if you're trying to change by beating yourself up, eventually you're going to rebel against that. It's not a sustainable way to build boundaries or create habits. I think it relates back to sobriety too. So every little thing that we do, like we go out with friends, we go to a wedding, everything that we do sober boosts our confidence a little bit. So when you start out small, every time like you stick to your boundary and you trust yourself, then I think that your self-esteem just propels itself forward. Totally, totally agree with that. So what is one piece of advice that you'd like to share with our audience today about sobriety or boundaries or both even? I think that people can get so scared of sobriety and feel like it is so ultimatumy and it is so, I think the bit, right? Like I, I myself struggled a lot with feeling like, isn't this an aggressive solution to my problem? Isn't this super harsh? And I felt like this is the opposite of freedom if I stop drinking, because I'm going to think about wanting to drink all the time. And one thing I wish people knew was actually that's like the opposite. Once you stop drinking and you start creating a life that you don't want to escape, that's fulfilling. I'm not saying it won't be scary or hard at first. It is going to feel like freedom, like you've never experienced before, because you don't right? Like constantly worrying about your drinking or how much you're going to drink is really draining and exhausting. And if you take that option away and you commit to not drinking, it it's going to be hard at first, but on the other side is just, you know yourself on a deeper level. It's one of the best things you can do for your mental health. And it's just like freedom. Like I, it's, I feel like it's still the best thing that I ever did for myself in my life. 
Same. Yeah, I always think of it too, like it's one less thing I have to worry about. Yeah. There's so many other things that I'm like busy worrying about, but I don't have to worry about how I'm going to get home because I can drive or if I like, am I going to oversleep or how am I going to feel when I wake up? It's just one less huge factor that is going to cause me more anxiety thinking about working totally. around my drinking schedule. So I it's like, that. if if all I do is lay on the couch and eat chips all day, okay, that's fine. I don't <laughs> have to worry about why I'm laying here and like feeling the shame of laying here. Yes. I know if I want to, if I'm laying here, maybe my body needs it. And it's not because I beat it up with alcohol the night before. Absolutely. Right. Or that you're deep into a shame spiral and you're just eating a bag of chips. So you don't have to think about what the hell happened over the weekend. Yeah. I think it's really hard to have good self-esteem if you have problematic drinking of any kind, Mm -hmm. because there's going to be so much shame that accompanies that. And it's really, really hard to work through shame if you're constantly in a spot where you're creating shame for yourself, because you can't, as much as you want to try to control it. I mean, we all do like our brains are not online when we're under the influence. So it's really hard to control and not do things that are out of line with your values. So one of the best ways to live a life that you're proud of is to not do something where you're not there during it. Yes. (laughs) I still do embarrassing things, but I don't feel shameful about them. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And that's, there's a difference between embarrassment and shame. (laughs) Definitely. All right. Well, we've had an amazing time with you. Tell our listeners where they can find you. So you guys can follow me um, on Instagram at therapy for women. Um, And if you're interested in therapy services in Philadelphia or across the country, um, our website is therapyforwomencenter.com. And you can also follow the center on Instagram at therapy for women center. And are you currently accepting new patients? I am not myself, but our practice is. Okay, perfect. Yeah. And where is that located in the city? So we're in Old City, and we are actually opening a new location in Balakinwood in July. Congratulations. Thank you. Congrats. Thank you so much for joining us and helping us set boundaries, and maybe we'll implement some with each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. This was great. Thanks, Amanda. It was great to see you again. Yep. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Yes. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining the After Party brought to you by the Sober Kates. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep the After Party going, follow us on Instagram at the Sober Kates.